0: Welcome back to another episode of The Buck Stops Here. I'm your host, David Maples. And today, I'm here with Cynthia Fales, someone who has a background in psychology, went into education for years, became a published author, went to talk at a university level, and now has started her own publishing empire. So the reason I have her on the show today is because as she's been through this journey, she has been through the ups and downs, the ins and outs of every piece that can happen. And if you want to be a metal business, if you want to have the mental metal and fortitude for how you're going to move forward in your business, there's no better paradigmatic example than Cynthia Fails. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. <laughs> Thanks, David. So, um, okay, so let's start a little bit with your background in history. Okay, sure. So, um, you you went to undergrad. You went. You were in psychology, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So, tell me. Uh, so, how did you go from there
1: to educator? What what happened? <laughs> so, there was a summer right before I graduated where I got the chance to work with the Kansas City Freedom Schools, uh, and the Kansas City Freedom Schools. Well, the National Freedom School Program is meant to help. Uh, underserved youth, historically underserved youth, to find a love of reading. And we expose them to all sorts of different types of books and um, a lot of cultural appreciation. And that almost flipped a switch for me. Uh, and I was like, I don't care what it is that I do. There's going to be some level of education and working with um, people to help write whatever ship it is in whatever industry. But that's how I ended up in education. So Graduated from Kansas State with my degree in psychology, and uh, that was the first spring semester right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have an idea of what the the job Mm -hmm. market looked like, right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to go back to the Kansas City Freedom Schools during that summer. Thankfully, I got the chance to land back home at my parents' house while I was trying to find work. Uh, But the Kansas City Freedom Schools just continued to give me opportunities um, and kind of tied me over until I could find work, uh, which took a while. But then when I did find work, I actually did a year of service with AmeriCorps VISTA, and it was still here in the Kansas City area. Uh, But I got the chance to work at the United Way of Wyandotte County as their youth service uh, organizer. So there I got to connect um, youth, usually through the court system to opportunities uh, to volunteer at organizations around the, the county. Uh, my approach was to find whatever it was that they loved to do and connect them to an organization that was doing that so that they would stay beyond the court-mandated hours and continue to volunteer.
0: So for those of you um, listeners of the show who might be a little bit younger than I am, um, there was a recession that happened after 9-11, 2001, 2002, there was a recession and it was a pretty substantial one, but it paled in Pearson obviously, obviously the Great Recession in 2008 and on. But at that point in time, it was one of the worst recessions that we'd had in decades. And so it did change a lot of things in the environment. So you you were in education for a while, an educator, Mm -hmm. and then you wrote your first book. What was your first book called?
1: First book is called The Christmas Cookie.
0: Okay, so tell me about The Christmas
1: Cookie. (laughs) So The Christmas Cookie is about a cookie that wakes up on a plate meant for Santa on Christmas Eve. So he wakes up and he's like, wait a minute, I'm going to get eaten if I stay here. So he has to decide whether or not he wants to run away or whether or not he wants to serve his greater purpose And go ahead and get eaten so that Santa can continue to go from house to house to house. Ah, No spoilers here, but is it a happy ending? It depends on how you view the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the
0: the show notes below this, we'll link out to the Christmas cookie. If you would like to get a copy of these books um, and and support Cynthia's endeavors, it would be Wildly appreciated, but um, yeah, that's a good point. I guess it depends on your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what literary stuff's all about, though. Absolutely. Um, Art and creativity is, (laughs) I guess, it's always that intersection of what the person gets out of it. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. It is.
1: And you know, it's funny about that story. On the surface, it's about a cookie that's meant for Santa, but at the core of it, it's about having faith in what you can't see on the other side of uh, oh, what's right in front of you, right?
0: So you went from there. Mm-hmm. Um, did you publish another book before you went into back into academia?
1: Uh, no, that was the only book that I published. I published a book and picked up quilting, and then went right back into so academics. So I, I'm so you went into academia. Mm-hmm. You taught at the collegiate level. Now I did,
0: yeah. And um, and then you went off to start your own publishing company. That's the so tell me about this journey.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it was an interesting journey because when I went back into education, uh, I actually had the chance to help students learn how to ramp up their, their skills so that they could be collegiate level ready and stay and graduate, which is important. Uh, so I was doing that during the day. And then at night, I was writing and publishing and illustrating my own stuff Um, putting it out into the world. And then because of where I was working, you know, you work in academia. There are a lot of professors and staff that are interested in publishing their work. And so they started using me as a resource and I was helping them to get their work out into the world as well. Um, And oddly enough, my supervisor saw what I was doing, knows how much she knew at the time, how much I loved the work that I was doing during the day, but also what I was doing at night. And she asked when I was going to take a chance on myself. And uh, when we had the conversation, it was immediate for me. I was like, right now, it was something that I had been considering. It was something that I had been trying to talk to my husband about at the time as well. And her question was right on time. So think
0: about how rare that is in 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 business yeah. um, to have a supervisor or manager or boss, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. who who sees that your best destiny does not Lie within the confines of their organization. Yeah. Uh, that's a real gift. It really was. Um, so you went off and started, was that when LaunchCrate
1: was born? That's when LaunchCrate was born. So tell yeah. me about LaunchCrate. <laughs> so LaunchCrate was born, um, well, I started full time in 2017, the middle of 2017. Uh, but the second book that I published myself, I published under the LaunchCrate brand. Um, and LaunchCrate is really meant to give a platform to people. You think about a soapbox, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to give people a platform so that they can share their ideas with the world, and that's what LaunchCrate is is for. Uh, But we've gone a step beyond just helping people share their ideas. We're doing so in a way that makes sure that creatives are getting fairly compensated for their work, and that was a result of me publishing The Christmas Cookie.
0: So I'm going to go ahead and go for a minute. I have a background. Mm -hmm in book publishing that okay. no one knows about. Nice. <laughs> I worked for a, uh, a games company years ago, okay. and we were publishing books. And the model there was, there were a couple different models. And I don't know if this is across the publishing industry, but you could go send your book to Random House or Penguin. You could send your manuscript or whatever it is, and they like it. They take a chance on it, etc. And if you haven't published anything before, it's really, really hard. You'll be rejected dozens or even hundreds of times in mm-hmm. some cases, mm-hmm. right? And it's that last envelope you send that's always the most important, it feels yeah. like. <laughs> so, um, but in our industry, what we discovered was that you would print a book or create a manuscript or book. You'd either uh, write it yourself. They would either publish it for you. But then you had to have distributors to get it in the hands of people. Mm-hmm. And the way it worked is, let's say the book is, I'm just gonna use a number. I'm gonna say the book is $20. Mm-hmm. It costs you $5 to print it, hypothetically speaking, right. if it's illustrated with color, sure. et cetera. Um, this is a hardbound book, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty dollar book. I've got cost of five, and I get it to the distributor. They buy it for ten, mm-hmm. and then it goes <laughs> to the stores, mm-hmm. and the stores get it for seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, as an author, am squeezed it between somehow the publishing company and whatever the book costs. So I might end up getting i I'm not going to say a nickel, but I might get fifty cents per book I sell. That would be great. So, well, that would be great. Under that model. Under yes. that model. Mm-hmm. and um, But I've seen that's a big model out there. Mm-hmm. So when you looked at it, you'd have a book. We had a book that sold, you know, I think 30 or 40,000 copies. But we didn't make money. We were yeah. broke as a company because yeah. we couldn't. That didn't work. Because I think we were clearing a buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how we'd worked it out, we'd worked out, we were clearing out of your clears on a dollar. But when you look at that, that's not a lot of money t- for two years. You can't support no. your staff or anything no. else.
1: And nor can an author support themselves on that as well.
0: So tell me tell me about your journey or what you see. for Because self-publishing, when we, I was involved in this back in mm-hmm. 2001 or 2002, self-publishing yeah. wasn't really a thing. Yeah. So tell me about the different models that exist out there right now for authors.
1: So there are quite a few models that exist out there. There's the traditional publishing realm, which is what you just described. Uh, There's the hybrid publishing world where you pay, and I usually tell people don't do this, where you pay for um, a publisher to publish your work and you're splitting the profit. I've seen that.
0: I've seen that (laughs) where they'll they'll come in and say, we'll publish your book. You pay us 10 grand or 15 grand. I don't really know what they do for that. But um, it's not like you get an editor, right? (laughs) No.
1: <laughs> um, okay, so that's a, that's another model. That's so, you a model. Want, so
0: you want to be an author, right? And you have twenty grand, just burning a hole in your pocket. You can do this, but you're not probably going to be successful.
1: Well, I mean, it depends. It ah. depends uh, on a lot of factors, right? Okay. Uh, if you are a social media influencer and you have a lot of people ah. who follow you and support you and are looking for more information from you, self publishing, not hybrid publishing, self publishing. <laughs> Could be a good way to go, um, as is going with a a smaller boutique publisher as well, right? You don't necessarily need the big five. Um, And a lot of the smaller indie publishers like LaunchCrate and like some of the other publishers that I'm connected to, we found a way to do it so that authors are getting more compensation for their work than what they would have done before. But what you're looking for is reaching critical mass and selling the book in bulk, not a copy here and a copy there. We're trying to sell to groups. We're trying to sell to um, large organizations who will continue to spread the word so those ripples continue to spread. So, this and is expand. like a
0: large bookseller who's mm-hmm. going to buy 10,000 copies of your book or 50,000 copies of your book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, tell me, uh, what is, okay, so tell the audience real quick what does self publishing
1: look like? And then, what does the launch crate model look like? So self-publishing is when you are responsible for making sure that your idea comes to fruition and turns into a book, which means you're responsible for writing the manuscript. You're responsible for editing. You're responsible for book layout, for typesetting, for the cover design. Whether you are doing it or paying somebody else to do it, you are responsible for turning your idea into a physical book and either doing bulk copies um, in print runs or print on demand. Either of those models I've seen uh, be really effective for authors, right? For LaunchCrate, what we're doing is for those that we traditionally publish, we're coaching them through the process. So maybe it's the first book that they do with us and the second book they publish on their own. Ultimately, for me, what I want are authors who feel well-equipped to go out and do it themselves the next time, because that's how you start to change the game. You get them well-versed on marketing. You get them well-versed on how to sell their book. You get a product that looks and rivals the big five and what they put out, which we have access to now because we have the same technology that they're using. Um, and we can do things differently in how we publish books as well. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is turn the publishing industry on end. So those who tra- traditionally publish with us 60% of the profit is going back to the creatives, whether that is just the author or an author illustrator combo, and then forty percent is coming back to launch crate so that we can continue to create ripples of change.
0: So why why would you why wouldn't you just keep them as a captive audience? Why wouldn't you keep them as your people as you move forward through it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Why would you want to equip them so they could do the next book on their own? What what's the what's the rationale for
1: that? The rationale for me is if you are changing the industry. If you're changing a system that's broken, the more people who are equipped out there with knowledge to to do it themselves in the right way, the more leverage you have when you're trying to change that system, right? If the system is broken, why are we trying to navigate and, and work our way through a system that needs complete obliteration instead of, like we're trying to patch the system instead of we, generally speaking, as people, are trying to patch the system instead of starting over. And for me, if we can equip people with the knowledge and the understanding of how to do it themselves, we don't need the system. We are the system at that
0: point. So this is true disruption because mm-hmm. you, as you disrupt the system, you're not concerned about... How it affects launch crate. If they don't come back to you in the future, that's fine because there's another hundred people you can affect and Absolutely. make change with. Yeah. And each one of those ripple effects has a compounded effect long term on the industry. Am I incorrect in that? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, why are you doing this?
1: <laughs> this is part of who I am. I think it's not. It's not. I'm being. I'm being, in, I'm being yeah. serious about this. Yeah. Why would you
0: take this on?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes. Things are funneled through you. Sure, this is one of those things that was being funneled through me. Education, equity, everything that has come to me. I'm using all of the skills and all of the, the the lessons that I learned. You know, trying to be patient through all of the recessions that <laughs> that I experienced yeah. and, and just everything that I have learned along the way. I'm pouring into Launch Crate um, in a way so that we can essentially write the ship in thinking about the America in which I want to live yeah I can say that I want it to look like this or I can do things mm. to set it up talk is cheap yeah right yeah there's
0: a lot of people out there kind of talking heads who mm-hmm. say the things and then when you pull back the the curtain, there's, there's no action. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's my question for you. Sure. You. This is the metal season, right? Mm-hmm. About having mental fortitude and adversity. I want you to talk about some of the challenges you faced along the way. Because here's the thing: the Big Five. Your industry is dominated by the Big Five. We don't need to name them. You can go Google that and say Big Five book publishers in the United States, and you'll find a Google result. Yeah. <laughs> that being said, what are the kind of things you've seen that have been challenging for you? Did you move from I'm sorry, you moved from an Ivy Tower. You were in academia. I was, yeah. And you had a good job with I a paying thing. And you jumped off. This is one thing on the buck, <laughs> buck stops here. We love people who have jumped off that collective cliff. Yeah. And if we don't flap our wings, those rocks are very real. <laughs> yeah. So what are kind of the things along the way that you have seen have been challenging for you? And what advice would you give to other business owners on how to navigate that?
1: Yeah. Uh, the, first, the first three years, first two and a half to three years were the toughest yeah, uh, because you are proving your model. Mm-hmm. You are um, reaching out to people who are interested in publishing and sharing your expertise with them and trying to share your vision with them in a way so that they understand. Um, but I don't ever want to bring on somebody like kicking and screaming along. Mm-hmm. right? I want to find the people who are like, yes, that's a part of who I am as well. Let's go make change together, right? So it's, it was hard pivoting and finding those folks, uh, which means income is low. Yeah. Thankfully, I had a partner who was working full-time, which gave me the chance to fail quickly. Yeah. Um, in a way that helped me to get to the audience that I'm looking for, right? Fail, learn, recoup do it again, do it again, do it again until I can get to um, the place where we're now making money. As you mentioned, book publishing, even with the model that we have, you're still not bringing in that much money with the percentages, right? 60-40 split. It
0: it depends on, I guess it depends. If you hit a home run, if you get a, um, I don't know, if you get a Stephen King or a J.K. Rowling or something like that, I mean, a million books is real. That's, yeah. But most books sell less than, what is it, 5,000 copies? Yes. So, yeah. um, so
1: how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> for us, mm-hmm. we are marketing the books that we have, but we're also, we have not only the traditional publishing, but we also offer publishing services. So for those authors who are interested in self-publishing, we give them the same tools that we're giving our traditionally published authors, but they are paying for the services. So at the end, they come out with a book and the skills to do it themselves multiple times over. So I, I did
0: I did check you out a little bit online and tried to figure out what you're doing. And one of the things that makes you very different than most of the publishing houses, and I have, I don't want to name any, I don't want to name the big ones, <laughs> but as as being in those rooms yeah. a long, man, two decades ago now. <laughs> That's so weird to think about. Anyway, um, but being in some of those conversations in those rooms, you're offering everything from social media help and training to you're actually providing video for these authors to get their information out there. Yes. I don't know of any of the big ones who were doing that. Am I, I don't wrong? Either. No, I don't either. Yeah. Okay. So it's very different. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you, have a, you have a vested interest in it because you do want to uh, kind of break the system and uh, replace it with something more equitable and beneficial to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you've got this. So the first three years of any new business, um, when I do consulting, I always tell people, take whatever your income numbers are and cut them by 70%. percent mm-hmm. And people don't do that. Yeah. Um, I sit around tables with people in new business. They're like, we could make $8 billion next year. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's just. <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> I could also, I'm, I'm a. I'm a man who's five foot seven or whatever it is. <laughs> and I could walk onto an NFL football team right. tomorrow. You never uh, know. I mean, I mean, you never know, <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I'm not a betting person, but right. I would not bet on that right. Okay. <laughs> so you survived that. What other kind of things across the way have you run into? like you start you got the model, you had extra income behind you from those things when the times are lean, yeah, right? Um, and um, and actually, one of the things that's really cool about launchgrade is you're helping these these would-be authors. Um, you're helping them get in there without having, I mean, self-publishing is fine if they've got money to do that kind of thing. But if they don't, you're basically taking a percentage and you actually have a vested interest in them being successful. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting compared to the current models out there in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. For you, what are the other kind of challenges you had to overcome? Like you said, I never knew this was coming mm-hmm. or I never expected <laughs> X.
1: Mm. gosh. I think the biggest challenge, and this is something that I'm still working through right now, um, for me is trusting other people with, this is like my child, yeah. right? Trusting other people with my baby um, and seeking help, which, you know, you get to a critical mass yeah. <laughs> you get to the tipping point. And it's either going to make you or it's going to break you. And if you have to ask for help, you have to ask for help. So I always tell
0: people that going from one to 10 is a giant leap, going from 10 to 25 is a giant leap, 25 to 50, and then from 50 to 250. And I always tell people once they cross the 10 person threshold, you have to look at your next hire it needs to be better at the core function, the thing that made you the best in starting this company. Yeah, at 10. When you're managing personnel and things like that, and moving beyond there, you have to find someone who can do that core function better than you can, and you have to check your freaking ego. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've run into that as well as you're growing this thing, right?
1: Not yet. No, yet. I am fully open to finding somebody that is better than me because ultimately that makes the business better. So. But that's
0: ultimately it's about working. Great things only happen in. Uh, I'm going to go and say something that's probably not popular on the Buck Stops Here, but great things I think only happen in teams. Yeah. Um, no person is an island. The idea of the self-made individual is uh, largely a uh, – I don't know where the myth was born. That I don't know if that's it. Promethean or something, <laughs> you know, back in the collective consciousness yeah. or something like that. I always wonder, like, where do we get these myths and why we keep – like, we have baggage. Why do we saddle our kids with them? I have right. no idea. Right. Uh, same thing with these myths we have in business about yeah. the self-made individual. And we kind of lionize these people. Oh, this is the first X, Y, Z person to make cross the threshold. Yeah. So asking for help. How did you get through? That's a hard thing to do, especially when you're very competent. Mm-hmm. How do you ask for help?
1: <laughs> I got a coach. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, that's a, that's yeah, a very... We actually talked about in one of the episodes, we yeah. talked about... And uh, we talked about how do you hire that executive coach. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who's hired three bad coaches and one good one, you know,
1: it's a a challenge, right? Yeah. Well, I only hired one good one. See, (laughs) I I need to listen to you. Can you coach me on how to do that? I got really lucky. Okay. (laughs) No, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. But the coach that I worked with um, worked to heal some of the stuff that was inside. (laughs) So that I could get outside of the need to feel like I had to control and do all of these things. And once you work through all of that internal stuff, then the rest of this becomes, I'm not going to say easy, because it's still difficult, but it's easier to do.
0: But you always have to do the work. You Mm -hmm. have to do it yourself. No one can make you do it. And you
1: have to continue to do the work. Yeah, Yeah. I I have a question about the future now. Sure. Um,
0: We are entering this brave new world of artificial intelligence. Uh And we've already seen Amazon is um, there's been a raft of published books on Mm -hmm. Amazon that in some cases are literally lifting other people's wholesale. Mm -hmm. They're being written by machine. Mm -hmm. Most of them are not good. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I've read a couple. (laughs) Um, I bought one because people, uh, I think the review said this is the worst piece of uh, I regret to call it literature, but this is the worst piece of anything written you'll ever put on your nightstand. <laughs> and I was like, I have to buy this book. Yeah. And uh, it should have just been blank. They were right. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. I, I feel like we should do like a poetry night where we do like a spoken word <laughs> thing, and I, I could read excerpts from this book. Yeah. I will not name the book. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so you're seeing artificial intelligence in the industry, mm-hmm. and we see it. We're seeing a lot of um, we're seeing artists being um, artists. And I'm calling authors, artists. I know that authors don't always think of themselves Mm -mm. in those terms, but any creative exercise is artistry. Absolutely. How are you thinking about artificial intelligence as it will change the industry, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So it's, I actually have a book on my uh, bookshelf called, I forced a bot to write this book. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So it's somebody that is giving you an overview and then sharing what the prompt was, and then you get to read what the bot wrote, right? And some of it is decent. Yeah. But ultimately, there is something that the robots, that artificial intelligence just cannot do, that we do sure. so uniquely humanly, right? Um, and it's that piece that I think I want to encourage people to continue to lean into, right? Even if you feel like, like an AI can help you with your book outline or sure. an AI can give you reference for something that you're writing. If it's, if, if they don't make it up, right, sure. Right. I mean,
0: hypothetically
1: speaking. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you get to, you get the opportunity to go in and double check the research, to double check the information that they give you. You should be doing this. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. You should be doing this. I, I, I don't know. I, but... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know. Um... And there are a lot of people that aren't doing it. But I ultimately, you know, I think of AI as a tool, Okay. just like any other tool, right? It can help you with your outline. It can give you a first paragraph that you can then go back and modify. And maybe that first paragraph springs you into an entire chapter or three chapters or an entire book. But you get the chance to use the tool how you think the tool would be use, most useful to you. So you I, get to shape that.
0: I have some pretty strong feelings about what's going on. in mm-hmm. um, the way um, on the buck stops here, we don't talk about, I did a three-part series on AI last season. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes if you want to see it. It's actually holding <laughs> up okay. First episode's got some age on it now, but it's, you know, it's eight or 10 months old now at this point. So yeah. it might as well, and in the AI world, that's like that's, two oh decades, yeah. right? <laughs> but it, it held up okay. okay. I just like, Cut, you know, minute two to minute (laughs) three fifty yeah, whatever it is. But that being said, um, something I've been thinking about a lot is that the way these stochastic variable systems kind of do is they generate kind of the average of the next best word, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about really good literary ideas or really good things, these themes that make a great novel, there are some unified themes. Like Mm -hmm. supposedly there's 35, you know, basic storylines, you know, person versus nature versus versus, you know, all those kind of literary Uh things. Um, but the things that make great literature right now, connecting these disparate points that make you human, they're considered great literature or great works of writing because they're not just saying the same thing everybody else has said. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure maybe the machines will get there in a decade, but at this point in time, I think what you're seeing is I think it's largely correct. I don't think they're even close, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I mean, we can we can say. A leads to B, but when you start talking about like really what makes your book unique, your individual voice, mm-hmm. your individual perspective, mm-hmm. if I could distill Cynthia down into an algorithm, <laughs> I might be
1: able to get to the outcome. But we are not even close to that. No, no. You know, it's funny. I actually, I was writing a Medium article, okay, and was struggling with the draft of it, and I asked uh, Chat GPT to write the article. In the style of me, C.L. Fails. Yeah, because I, I just wanted to see what it would oh. And it was close. Mm. But it was still it, AI and what they're generating now is based off of what has been done, right? Yes. It, it doesn't lead us forward into new ideas yeah. at this point. Um, and so that's the piece that's missing, right? So it's somewhat in my voice. But as I'm reading it, I'm like, I wouldn't say it like that. So here's the piece that I like, and here's the piece that I like, and let me double check these references. And now, how do I take this framework that I've created, based off of the prompt that they've and the the text that I get from them, right? What was generated? Now, how do I take that and turn it into an article mm. that is in my actual voice, that is sending the message that I want to send? So
0: I, I have I have a I have a follow question I've yeah. got to ask. Yeah. <laughs> How do you as a published author feel about the fact that they have scraped the content of your books? (laughs) Because that's how they were able to generate stuff closer to your voice. How do you feel about that? Did anyone ever ask you? Did they call you up and ask you if it was okay if they ate your books?
1: They didn't. Oh. Um, But at the same time, you know, a human could do the same thing. They could. They might like the style that I write in. But they couldn't do it in 30 seconds. They couldn't do it in 30 seconds, but they could still do it.
0: I guess guess maybe that's (laughs) the part that makes me mad. Yeah. If you had to read my book and buy my book, I might feel differently (laughs) about it. Like you read it Mm -hmm. and it took you a couple days to read it. Mm -hmm. Then I might be like, "Oh, you put the time in." But if you did it in twenty seconds,
1: I think it's going to make me angry. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I guess. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> there You're, might be a human being out there somewhere that can read. Maybe not maybe, in twenty no, seconds. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Probably at some point, right? So, you know. I don't know. I, I am. I'm really.
0: Um, I've got to give a talk in a couple of weeks at this intellectual property summit. And, yeah. And um, not talking about me, but I've been struggling with. Uh, I've been playing devil's advocate myself as an attorney lately of how I would make the arguments that they're not doing copyright infringement. And I've got some pretty novel arguments, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of hating myself because mm-hmm. of them. <laughs> and I'm really having a hard time with it. Yeah. i really having a hard time with it. Because I think we all need to, with the new technology, struggle with it. Mm-hmm. For you, you're seeing it as a tool. So you're seeing this as an opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So in the long run, how how can we make this so... Let's spin this forward into the future a little bit. Sure. How can we use the artificial intelligence or force the tools to kind of bend to our will that speed up the acceleration of your disruption in the industry? Because, I mean, maybe that's the best outcome. Yeah. How do we do that?
1: That's a good question. <laughs> well, no, I, I, don't, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know that I have, have the answer to it right now, but, yeah, that's a good we, question. We can, we can think about this and yeah. come back to it. I just think it's really amazing. <laughs> if you could go back and talk to yourself a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, a decade ago, how old would I have been?
0: Okay, okay got, got it. A decade ago. I don't have to. I can do 2017. I could go back to, <laughs> let's go back. It's so weird. That pandemic era is just like, it doesn't exist. It's yeah. like these three years that are just a
1: but the, blank the Like the pandemic was great for a... I, I, I I'm, I'm really confused about this right now. Tell yeah. me about it. Tell me about it. Okay, so the pandemic, everybody is locked in their house. They are locked in their houses. And things are changing rapidly for people, which mm-hmm. means they stop. And they reflect on their life. Ah. So that book idea that they've been sitting on, Uh now it becomes priority, where before priority was, oh, I have to work. I have to do this for these other people. Well, now I can do this work while I'm at home. And I also have the space and the capacity now to do my own thing as well. And so a lot of people were coming to me for help publishing books during the pandemic. Uh, We also, because of my coaching, we also made a pivot into a new service that we offered called Idea to Editor, where we take people through this master course. They have an idea for a book. They sit down with us for eight weeks, and then by the time the eight weeks is up, they have a manuscript that's ready for an editor. Now, is this an in-person course? Is this something
0: somebody can go sign up for online? This is
1: something they can do online, uh, but we have... So far, we have Zoom sessions, so it's all live. So online, if they
0: wanted but... to get involved with this right now, where mm-hmm. would we – I'm, I'm going to let you pitch it. Where, yeah. where would I go to find out about this?
1: You'd go to launchcrate.com, mm-hmm. click on Idea to Editor. It should be up in our menu bar, mm-hmm. and that will take you to all the information that you need to know.
0: That is wild. So yeah. it's Crate, That's L-A-U-N-C-H-C-R-A-T-E. Mm-hmm. com. And idea to editor. Idea That's to really editor. That's really fabulous. So you yeah. have a whole online curriculum with this thing you've we built do. out. yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. I think that needs to be in the hands of every author who's aspiring, especially if they don't
1: know. I mean, I guess in the process of doing this, they might decide maybe they don't want to write Maybe again. they don't want to, yeah. So what happens is the folks who go through the live course with us, uh, they see instant results. Mm-hmm. And it scares them. Because uh, they're like, oh, no, do I really want to write this book? Because <laughs> now, now you're kind of out there. and you, you're You could in do it.
0: it. Mm-hmm. You could do
1: it. Yeah. Right. So part of the benefit of having the course mm-hmm. as a live course is that they also receive coaching from me. So they have the one-on-one coaching. Uh, so when they hit that wall and I can identify it, I can see it coming usually. And within a few days... I can predict
0: when they're going to hit that wall. So for those of you listening, there's something here I don't know if you you figured out. Cynthia is herself a coach within the context of her specialized domain. Yeah, and she herself also has a coach. Mm-hmm. So, and um, for those of you out there who're wondering if coaching works, the answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes, with the right with the right coaching. Absolutely, of course, right? yeah. So with that, but going back in time to 2017, so we don't go back a decade. That's sure. fine. Sure, we can go back a decade. What would you with? go back? And tell yourself, either a decade or, or you know, six or seven years ago now, mm-hmm. what would you go back and tell them, that younger version of yourself, what would you tell them to get out of your own way and do?
1: What would you what would you mm. what advice would you give to yourself? I think whether it was twenty seventeen, whether it was ten years ago, whether it was twenty years ago, I think I would give myself the same advice and that's do it. It's going to be okay. Just do it. Do it's going to be okay. Yeah. How, how do they know it's going to be okay? What do they have to trust? They just have that? to trust
0: themselves. Have to trust themselves. Yeah. So enough, would you say that enough people don't trust themselves?
1: Yeah. I think we doubt ourselves regularly. Is it that imposter syndrome thing? What sometimes is it? it's imposter syndrome and sometimes it's, you know, coming from the outside world as well. But
0: Since you launched Launch Crate, what is the thing you've been most, um, I'm going to go ahead and say this, what are mm-hmm. you most proud of Having mm. I mean, done this, this is not about pride mm-hmm. or hubris. What are you, you, you look at and you say, I am so happy yeah. that I did that.
1: Uh, I was trying to pinpoint it. <laughs> that's well, a, if you had to pick that's one. A, that's if a you, good well, thing.
0: Top three. That top makes it easy, right?
1: Uh, top three is that we infuse tech in our books. Right? Okay. So you've interviewed Candace McField. She has yes. QR codes in her book that take you to the exercises so you can see the exercises. Now, that is
0: wild. Yeah. Um, we interviewed her for a companion podcast called the, the Casey Leaders Podcast. Mm-hmm. She's a, a fitness uh, guru, for lack of a better term right now. Really amazing. We, um, I'd be glad to link to that in the episode stuff, but a really cool lady. Um, but uh, so she put you put QR codes in her actual book.
1: Yeah. So we use QR codes in her book. We started using them with the book that I wrote about my grandfather's life. So you scan the QR codes and now you are transported to the couch in his living room. Oh. So you can hear him telling you his life story. Wow. We've used QR codes to embed a course within a book as well that we just released last year. This was actually the person that coached me. I got to coach him through the process of writing his book. And so Love With No Place to Land is about navigating your grief journey. So he's got his parts of the book. And then there's an online course as well. So we fused the two together. So, okay.
0: So this is... This is um, I did not know we were going to talk about technology on this episode, which yeah. is, is great. So you literally... Um, you're disrupting an industry you think needs to be disrupted, mm-hmm. but you are changing the way that books are written and published. So what you're saying is this is more of a – it's almost like an interactive medium to some, yeah. to some extent. Yeah. We're pushing the bounds of books, absolutely. So are we going to get to that Harry Potter place in the movies where you can see the stuff moving in the books? I don't know. Does that change what books are? I don't, I'd love to see that. So I don't know. I've thought about that a lot. Yeah. Especially with the AR and VR stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a whole level of um, – there's just a the whole level of stuff you could do, but I'd never oh, thought yeah? about that. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really amazing. Is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners right now about your journey, or how you think it could help them inform them, no matter what industry they're in? It could be in book publishing, mm-hmm. but it might be something unrelated, like I don't know, halogen bulb manufacturing. Yeah, <laughs> I pulled that out of nowhere. That's not specific. There's nobody I'm talking about, so Phillips, don't sue me.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, it. If there's anything that I could tell people, I would tell them to trust the ideas that are coming to them, even the ones that sound scary and that sound impossible. There's a reason that they're being funneled to you. So just trust that even if you don't know how to make it come true or come to life, that you are going to be connected to people and resources that can help you to make it come to fruition. Do you think the reason people don't trust themselves, because that represents a certain change in their
0: life? Absolutely. So it's about having courage and grit when facing the change and trusting the fact that you can get through this. You might need help, um, and uh, that's a big, big part of that journey. And what is it? The journey is the important part of it, right? Yeah, it's not, just it's not the that. destination. It's not it's the destination the journey. journey. You know, you're never guaranteed a destination. That's the truth. I think this is really good information. And no matter what business you're in, um, I think this is stuff you need to listen to. And this is my no BS segment of this episode as we're bringing it to a close. If you think that what she's talking about doesn't apply to your industry, you haven't been paying attention. At the end of the day, there are great ideas, and you should pollinate whatever you're doing from wherever they come from. They might come in manufacturing. They might come in education. Everyone's journey is different, and their life experience is incredibly important. And if you were going to be open to facing change with artificial intelligence and these other technologies, this week, quantum computing did the thing where they broke one of the big security encryption key. There might not be secrets by this time next year. So... It's incredibly important for you to understand that people, no matter what industry they've been in and what they've faced, there are life lessons to be learned from them and that you need to listen to that. At the same time, you need to ask for help and get a coach. So with that, that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, Cynthia, I really appreciate you being on the, sh- on the show today, and I'd love to invite you back for um, the Casey Leaders um, an episode later. For I would an episode love that. About that. Yeah. So our takeaways from this episode today. Are number one, you need to trust yourself in any piece of this doing. If you're going to improve your mental mettle, your fortitude in facing adversity in your business and change, you need to trust yourself. You, those ideas are coming into you for a reason and you need to understand that if you're going to find a path through those woods, you have to get on the path and you have to do it. Put one foot in front of the other because if you don't, you never go anywhere. Number two, if you are going out to do these things... If you're going out to accept these things and explore these new opportunities for your business, it could be an established business, it could be a new business, it could be a new venture for your business. You need to understand that the revenue that it brings in, you have to have built in a little bit of a safety net for what you're doing. In this first two to three years, and we've seen this time immemorial, you will not bring in the revenue you think you're going to in this first three years. So look at your projections, scale them back a little bit, find out if you've got a little bit of a cushion to land on. But at the same time, that's a smart way through. And if you have that cushion, it's kind of like walking through the woods. If you don't pack a lot of supplies with you, you don't know what you're gonna find. And if you don't have the supplies, you're gonna turn around before you get halfway to your destination. And the third thing, the third takeaway here is that even coaches need a coach. If you have not engaged yourself with the right people you are looking at the problem wrong. What you did to get you here won't get you there. And sometimes you need that out perspective, that wisdom from that person to help move you along. And they don't always have to be coaches who are versed in your discipline. They need to understand what you're missing and help you understand how to get there and to trust yourself in the process. Cynthia, I'd like to thank you again for stopping by. Is there anything else you'd like to tell the audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, David. Uh, if you are interested in supporting any of the LaunchCrate authors, especially our youngest author, who is 12 years old, his name is Trey Glasper, we are currently in a campaign to help him sell a thousand copies of his latest book so that we can increase literacy. Check us out at launchcrate.com. We're at LaunchCrate on all platforms. Uh, we'd love to help you out if you're an aspiring author as well please come check us out and we'd love to talk to you. If
0: you liked what you heard here today, please like and subscribe. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, or any great place that podcasts are done. With that, we're going to be doing another giveaway in this episode. So the vinyl albums will keep coming. I believe that this one is Master of the Puppets by Metallica. So if you want to uh, get a copy of that, vinyl press copy of that, please subscribe to the newsletter. With that, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. Go out there. Be awesome and make it a great week.